Turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Thank you so much for that testimony, John Mark. And if you would like to support his ministry and uh, his financial needs for just being able to even be here in the United States, you're welcome to do that at the table. There will be a way that you can give, and he'll share that with you. He'll be out there. And uh, so uh, I know he appreciates any offering and gift that you have uh, for that ministry. If you had trouble understanding uh, John Mark's English, it's because he went to college in California. So... (laughs) Okay, uh, enough of that. Um, Always happy to give California a hard time. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, I, I split my time with John Mark this morning. He and I worked that out uh, this week as we talked, and, and uh, so I'm going to preach a turbo sermon, and, uh, and I actually succeeded that in the first service. I told Cherry a while ago before this service started that I preached the shortest sermon I've ever preached at First Baptist Hazel. Uh, for the early service. Part of that was because this service was coming up, but there is no service after this one. (laughs) So, no promises. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. What a wonderful passage. Oh my goodness. As we continue with our study in Ephesians, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? These are the words of the Apostle Paul and the words of God to you and I. To the saints in Ephesus... The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and these words. They are so profound. We ask that your spirit within us opens the eyes of our heart that we can understand them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We continue today with our study of Ephesians that we began last week called Ephesians, Our Identity and Purpose. And today's message is entitled Living Saints, Living Saints. I didn't have a chance to share with you last week. Paul is writing uh, to the church in Ephesus around 60 AD. This is during the, the, the reign of Nero, the emperor Nero, who was not a very nice guy. Of course, none of them were. Ephesus was the, one of the most important cities in the world at the time. <clears throat> it was the most important city in Western Asia Minor, that is modern-day Western Turkey. It was the fourth largest Roman city, and so it was a huge metropolis and probably had a thriving church there. There was also temples that were dedicated to all kinds of false gods. Their most famous temple was a large 
facility that was dedicated to the Roman or the Greek god or goddess Diana. And so that's a little bit about Ephesus as Paul is writing. He later had some difficulties with some heresies that were going throughout the church. And given the world in which they live, it's not surprising. I want to share with you only two things out of this passage, which is extraordinary because there are literally 40 things you could glean from what I already read. But I'm going to pick two and try to summarize as best I can. I think Paul begins at the very beginning of this book, Ephesians, trying to share God's truth through a word of identification. In fact, he begins immediately in verse 1 as he's addressing the letter. He says in verse 1, to the saints in Ephesus. That's how he opens the letter, to the saints in Ephesus. That's not unusual for Paul. He does it in several of his letters, addresses it in that way, refers to them as saints. He's talking to the Christians there, not just one or two saints there. I know in the Roman Catholic Church, they have this hierarchy that you can become a saint. Hypothetically, most of us can't, but if you're going to become a saint as a Roman Catholic, you have to perform a series of miracles. I know one of the requirements of becoming a saint for the Roman Catholic Church is you have to die. Uh, they, never, they never put you in sainthood while you're still alive. Well, I'm thankful that that's not what Ephesians chapter 1 actually says. No disrespect to our Roman Catholic friends, but he's talking about living saints here, which is why I gave you the title, Living Saints, to the saints in Ephesus. Did you know you're a saint? I know. Wives, look at your husband beside you. He's a saint. (laughs) Now, some were more saintly than others, but a saint nonetheless. First of all, I want, to, I want to mention there is a difference between saints and apostles here. Paul was an apostle of Christ. The word apostle means sent one. And the apostles were men that were specifically chosen by God for very specific tasks. An apostle preached the gospel, performed signs and wonders, built up other leaders, and he wrote, and wrote words of scripture. So in contrast to that, we are saints. But a saint is not a reference to what we do as it is a a word about who we are. When he says saints, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Azel, he's speaking a word about our identity. Our identity. Often people believe that they are something other than what they really are. Have you ever noticed that in somebody? They seem to don't have a real understanding of their identity and they think that there's somebody else or something else. In the last several hundred years, there have been 53 documented cases of what are called or what we refer to as feral children. Children who have been lost in the wild and reared, nurtured, and protected by animals instead of people. 53 documented cases. For example, in 1987, not, even, not that long ago, a child was found living with a tribe of monkeys in Uganda. When taken to an orphanage, the child grunted, squealed, uh, jumped on his hands, ate grass, and was fearful of people. Another boy was once observed living with a herd of antelope over a 10-year period. Several attempts to capture him proved to be futile. 
Scientists <clears throat> call this bizarre behavior imprinting. The identity of the animals around them was imprinted on the children. Now you and I know that they weren't really monkeys. They weren't really antelope. They were human beings. They were children. But they didn't have any human beings around them. And so all they had to do or all they had to, to understand was the animals with which they lived were a particular type and they imprinted that identity on themselves, even though that's not who they were. Imprinting. Even though they were not monkeys or antelopes, that identity was imprinted on them. In a very similar manner, this world imprints on you and I who this world thinks you and I ought to be. Every day, we are being imprinted by this world. Often, even in our own minds, our identification is falsely attributed to our genetic makeup, our race, our nationality, our political affiliation, our gender, and even our age. Our true identity is found in none of those things. Your identity and my identity is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's found in our God. And he identifies us in this passage as saints. And so if you're sitting there thinking, no, pastor, you don't know me. Or you don't know my spouse. Or you don't know my teenagers. Well, God knows them. And if they're believers in Christ... God calls them and you saints. That's powerful. Now, if it's just somebody else calling you a saint, that means one thing. But God calls you saints. That means something else altogether. For those who accept that blood of Jesus Christ, we are saints. Even if we don't act saintly, we have been called and destined to become saints. Through Christ. That's the first thing I wanted to say, and that's the first couple words in the very first sentence of the passage, so we have a long way to go in about five minutes. <laughs> but I had to mention that. You gotta notice that to the saints. And then he writes the entire book, the entire letter. The second thing you need to know today, and the only other thing I want to share with you is that we are blessed. We are saints. And we are blessed. And he spends the rest of that passage, verse 1 through 8, talking about just how we are blessed. And if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not, I don't particularly feel blessed, Pastor. I've got this problem or this issue. I don't have a nickel to my name or I'm, I'm, I've got a disease or I'm getting old or whatever. I got problems or just got fired or I've got this habit or addiction or this, this problem or challenge in my life. I'm not sure... I, I would be called blessed. Well, listen to me. If you're a believer in Christ, you blessed. You are blessed. And so this is what Paul says. If you look with me in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wow. Let me stop right there. He says a lot just right there. First of all, God called you. You are called and chosen. God chose you. 
Now, I know the implications of that. If you think very long about that, you, you might be thinking, well, if he chose me, did he chose every, choose everybody? And if he chose some and not some, then and don't get too lost in the details. Just understand this. God chose you. It is remarkable that God chose you and me. It wasn't anything that we did. It was the mercy of God. And then God tells us actually when that took place. When did the selection process happen? When did he choose you? What does it say? Before the creation of the world. Wow. Not before you were born. Not 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. Before God created the universe, he already picked you. And you say, how is that possible? Well, that's one of the little advantages of being transcendent. God can go back and forth through time all he wants to. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, omniscient, that is all-knowing, and he's, he's transcendent. He's not bound by linear time like you and I are. And so before he even started, God had a plan, not just a plan for the universe. He had a plan for you and for me. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. And here's what he chose us to do. Don't forget this last part, to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us. Now, the holy and blameless gets to the saint part. Did you notice? He doesn't call us to be terrible saints. He calls us to be holy and blameless saints. Major Ian Thomas writes candidly this, God has chosen the weak and the base and the nothing and the things that are not to confound the things that are. He's quoting the Apostle Paul there. And all God demands of man is his availability to be what man was created to be. The, and I love how he says this. Listen to this. The human vehicle of the divine life. That's, a, that's what we're created to be. The human vehicle of the divine life inhabited by God for God. What you are is totally irrelevant, nationality-wise, money-wise, family-wise, education-wise, personality-wise, and any other-wise, he says, if only you will recognize the principle that it is God that works in you to will and to do his good pleasure, according to his own word. Now, that's the first thing you notice in how we are blessed. We're blessed because we're chosen. So whatever else there's going on in your life, whether good or bad, you can rest assured that you are blessed because you've been chosen by Almighty God. Secondly, it tells us that he loves us. Third, he adopted us. And fourth, he redeemed us. And I kind of put these together because they're really connected. He loves us, he adopted us, and he redeemed us. He chose us, loved us, adopted us and redeemed us. If you look in the passage in verse five, it says in love, there's that word love. He predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So his pleasure and will was to instill his love motivated by his love the, the, uh, the, the person of Jesus Christ in our, in our life. In accordance with his pleasure and will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us 
And the one he loves, that's Jesus. In him, that's Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love this last part, how he says this, that he lavished on us. I love it when my mom and dad, when I was a boy, would lavish something on us. I like that. I had four brothers and sisters, and we didn't have a nickel between any of us. Dad was a barber. I don't know if you've been a barber in your life, uh, but barbers didn't make much. And with five kids, there wasn't a whole lot to go around. I would like the idea of being lavished with chocolate as a child. Usually that meant one M&M. The thought of getting a whole pack of M&Ms was extraordinarily rare, if not unthinkable altogether. But here he's talking about God's grace and his love being lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So how are we blessed? He chose us. He loves us. He adopted us and he has redeemed us. So how, or perhaps why, does God do that? Why does he love you and me? Of course, you and I understand it has to do more with God than it does with us. We are simply the, the, the recipients of his amazing grace and compassion. We are the recipients of God's perfect character. Writing in the book entitled Chicken Soup for the Soul, if you've ever read that, it's a famous book, Ted Kruger writes about being drafted into the war during World War II. He says this, I have many memories about my father and about growing up with him in our apartment next to the elevated train tracks. For years, we listened to the roar of the train as it passed by. Late at night, my father waited alone for the train that took him to a factory where he worked the night shift. Every night, his father would go get on the train to go to the night shift. On this particular night, he says, I waited with him in the dark to say goodbye. His face was grim. His youngest son, that's him, had been drafted. I would be sworn in at six the next morning while he was at the factory. My father didn't want them to take his child, only 19 years old, to fight a war in Europe. He placed his hands on my shoulders and said, You be careful, and if you need anything, write to me, and I'll see that you get it. Suddenly, he heard the roar of the approaching train. He held me tightly in his arms and gently kissed me on the cheek. With tear-filled eyes, he murmured, I love you, my son. Then the train arrived. The doors closed him inside and he disappeared into the night and I left for boot camp. One month later, at age 46, my father died. He says, I am 76 as I write this. I once heard, he says, I once heard Pete Hamill, the New York reporter, say that memories are man's greatest inheritance, and I have to agree. I've lived through four invasions in World War II. I've had a life full of all kinds of experiences, but the only memory that lingers is the night my dad said, I love you, my son. Oh, the incredible power of a father's blessing. You and I are blessed by our Heavenly Father, and that is powerful.
powerful enough to make you and me a saint because God manifested his love through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. The adopted child of God, that's what he says there in chapter 1. Did you notice that word, that we are his adopted children, blessed through his love and redemption? Tomorrow, you're going to go back into the world, to school, to work, to travel. And everywhere you go, they're going, this world is going to do their best to imprint on you who they think you ought to be. Don't let them. Don't listen to them. Because you are a redeemed saint, a child of the living God. Hillsong sings a song that says this. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Go into the world tomorrow. Tell them who you are. Pray with me. Father, we don't comprehend the depth of your love for us or why you even love us at all except we know it's just who you are. But we accept this one truth, that you in your great love created us in your image. You imprinted yourself on us. And that's our identity. And we discover that identity through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go and we're going to hear all kinds of lies from this world that tells us that we have to be this and we have to be that and we should pursue this identity and that identity. Father, help us to remember through the power of your spirit and your love, help us to remember that we are your adopted children in Christ. We are your people. We are your saints. That's who we are. Thank you. Thank you. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? It may be you just want to come and get on your knees at these steps and say, God, thank you for that adoption. Thank you for your love in my life. Thank you for giving me this identity. Because everything stems from that. It may be you have not been a believer in Christ. You've never surrendered to him and you know it. Listen, your identity will only be found in Christ. There's nowhere in God's word, that he tells us anything other than Christ. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the key to understanding who you are. I want you to know as you're praying, Listen to me. God chose you. And he chose you for a more important purpose than anything this world can offer. The question this morning is, will you choose him back? Will you 
Surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. Will you be willing to come to the cross of Christ and say, Lord, I believe you died for me and I believe in faith in three days you came back to life. I surrender myself to you. Maybe God is calling you to join with this fellowship and to serve him faithfully here. If the Spirit is speaking right now, don't wait till next Sunday. You don't know what's going to happen this week. Come down this week and say, I want to be a part of this fellowship. If you're a believer in Christ, just come down and say, Pastor, we want to join. We want to be a part of this church. You don't have to make any speeches or anything like that. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join with this fellowship. Or maybe you just want to come and pray. And thank God for your identity in Christ. If God is speaking right now, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? Everyone stand. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, and everyone stand. And as you stand right now, you come.